going, everybody? Hello. It's good to see you guys. It's great to be back. Hey, Wednesday night, best night of the week. Amen. Who's thankful to be here tonight? It's good to see you guys. I love it. Someone's very enthusiastic in the second row right there. It's amazing. Guys, we are starting a brand new series tonight. We're actually continuing in a book that we studied last year. If you uh, looked very closely, you saw that we're picking up tonight in Acts chapter 4. So go ahead and open up your Bible right there to Acts chapter 4. Acts is in uh, the New Testament, and it is right after the Gospels. And uh, it is the story of something that you and I are a part of right now. It's the history, and it's the story of the church of Jesus Christ. Something that you, if you're sitting in this room, if you're listening to my voice, are in some way, shape, or form a part of right now. <gasps> very cool, very awesome. And um, the series title is called With All Boldness. You're gonna see next week when we preach through a couple passages that there's this radical prayer that the people of God pray for. They pray that they would have boldness as they speak and profess the truth of Jesus in the face of difficulty. They pray that the Lord would continue to convict them to preach with all boldness. And I love that because that applies to our hearts today. We have the opportunity for Christians in the room. You are not powerless. You are not um, just kind of tossed back and forth by the waves. You're not like confused by what's going on. You have access to a supernatural power and that is the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ present in your life. You and I get to walk through life with boldness. I'm so excited for the next few weeks to dive into uh, Acts 4 through 9. Before we begin, I just gotta ask, I'm gonna ask you a question and then once I say, look back up here, we have to stop talking. Does that sound good? Okay, how many of you watched a certain trailer today for the new Kenobi series coming to Disney Plus? All right, I need to hear your thoughts. Wait, who? Wait, wait, wait. I need to see everyone who watched it. Do you guys not care about, are there not as many Star Wars fans in the room as I thought? I watched it like 12 times, guys. I am so pumped. If you guys haven't watched it, if you haven't watched it, you are doing yourself a disservice. It's going to be an amazing show. All right, back up here, back up here. Um, if you haven't watched it, it's very cool. It takes place in, in the Star Wars universe. I don't know if you've heard about that or are a Star Wars fan in the room, but I love a good story. I love a good story that just captivates you, right? We watched Star Wars. We watched this battle against good and evil. We have Luke Skywalker living on Tatooine. He's approached by this wizard Jedi named Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he teaches him the ways of the Force, and he defeats the dark side. It's very cool, right? And we uh, have, uh, oh, brightness. We have the Avengers, right, who have to assemble together to defeat Thanos, right, and to retrieve um, the Infinity Stone so he doesn't eliminate half the universe. Very cool story. We have the stories of the Lord of the Rings where the Fellowship has to destroy the Ring of Power in order to defeat Sauron and the Orc army. It's all very cool. We are hardwired to love and to engage with stories. And what you and I are going to see tonight is a story, and it's even cooler because it's a true story. It's a true story about where we as a church, not this church here in Vancouver, Washington, but the church, Big C, has been and where it is going to go. All the best stories have characters who grow and conquer their own flaws. They set their sights on the mission to destroy the enemy. And if your story has no rising and falling tension, it's not a super good story. And tonight we're going to get a glimpse into some opposition that faces the early church. We're going to start to see the oppressing evil that comes against 
the church. The story picks up in Acts chapter four, but if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks or months, or at this point, like six months, I feel like it's time for a review. Does that sound good? Review time. You know, it's kind of like when someone walks in like the middle of the movie and they're like, wait, Darth Vader is who? What do you mean? Like what? They like go to the bathroom to get pop, or like they go to the bathroom during the movie and they walk back and they're like, what happened? And you're like, all right, here's the 10 things you missed, right? I feel like we have to do that really quick right now. Okay, so Jesus, he, his mission here on earth is recorded throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We believe that he's God's son and that he came and he lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again for the salvation of all those who would come to believe in him. At the very end of the gospel of Matthew, we see this. Jesus meets with his disciples and the people following him and he gives them this command. He says, Jesus, okay, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the mission that Jesus gives the church the very end of the gospels. Then we see in Acts chapter one, Jesus is with his disciples and he very quickly ascends into heaven. But he says, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, of course, keeps his promise. And in Acts chapter two, we see the day of Pentecost has come and that the the disciples, the apostles specifically, um, receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the church of Christ uh, from there is unstoppable, right? Peter gives this amazing sermon in Acts chapter two. A bunch of people get saved. Acts chapter three, a couple months ago, we saw there's a crippled man in the temple and Peter, John, a few other the apostles are there. Peter again preaches and he then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, commands this guy to stand up and walk and he is miraculously healed. Now, I did that very quickly, but we preached that for like 10 weeks, right? There's so much jam-packed in there. And I would encourage you, at some point this week, before next week, go back and read Acts chapter 1 through 3. It gives us so much context to where we are and where we, are, uh, where we were and where we're going to be. But this is the part of the story, the very beginning of Acts chapter 4, that we start seeing that rising tension. The oppression, the challenge begins to bubble up. The opposition begins to come. And the church and the apostles and the people who have followed Jesus have to ask themselves, what are we going to do? But make no mistake, we don't get to read this and be like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen, right? We're all sitting here today. I think we know what happens. The church of Christ continues to go and continues to move, continues to grow. Jesus promises uh, his people, and he's specifically talking to Peter in uh, the book of Luke. He says, and I tell you, you who are Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we get to see if he keeps his, uh, his promise. Look at Acts chapter four, the beginning in verse one. So that miracle has literally just happened and we're picking up here, it says this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. This is Peter and John specifically. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came out to be 5,000. Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel. Do you want to know what happens next? Let's pray and then we'll 
dive in. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for uh, your church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being uh, on the move, not just um, here in this specific time in history, but all the time. God, I pray that you would uh, allow our hearts and minds to be attentive to what it is that you're doing in our lives. Uh, Allow us to hear your word. Help us put away distractions. Any burden that we walked into the room with, I pray that we would uh, be able to leave that uh, and give that to you and focus in on what it is that you're trying to communicate to us tonight. It's all us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first couple verses in Acts chapter 4, we see a minor setback and a major victory. A minor setback and a major victory. There's two reactions to the gospel being proclaimed. Look down at the text. What are they? The Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's one reaction, but then there's another reaction in verse 4. It says this, but many of those who had heard the word believed. Look at that. Many who heard the word believed, and the number came out to be about 5,000. Two reactions. When the gospel is preached, there's either salvation and worship. People who recognize that they need the gospel, they turn to Jesus in faith, and then they worship him, or they challenge that gospel, and they uh, uh, begin to oppress, and they begin to attack. That's what happens specifically here in this passage in Scripture, and it frequently happens to us today. People either receive the gospel, they hear it, they understand it, and they run to Jesus, or they build walls, they begin, they begin attacks, and they push further away from the truth. Make no mistake that these two things still happen today. The chief priests, the captain of the temple, the religious and government powers, they begin to uh, 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 you know, go after Peter and John. Specifically, it says here, the Sadducees came upon them. That was a group of people um, who didn't believe that there would be a resurrection or that there was a resurrection. And so they were greatly annoyed. What? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The chief priest, the captain of the temple. So this is basically the number one guy and the number two guy in all the temple. And you have to understand the religious power at the time was far different than what we experience here in the United States in 2022. There was so much interwoven and interconnected into the Roman government and into the Jewish leaders. There was almost this deal, this common understanding that the Jewish leaders and the Romans had at the same time. They were kind of on the same page, right? They, they didn't quite like, or they didn't like the Roman occupation of their land, but they were willing to let it happen as long as there was peace, right? As long as there was no uh, uprising, as long as there was no revolution, there was kind of this understanding that they were gonna keep each other alone. And so, When this is challenged directly by uh, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, they are greatly annoyed. I wonder wonder how they must have thought, right? These are the same people who would have been um, opposed to Jesus and his ministry. These would have been the same people who would have put Jesus in custody and ultimately sent him to be killed. And all of a sudden, I can just imagine the little meetings that they're having, right? They're like sitting around the table, like plotting like certain things. They all got their funny little hats on and they're just kind of looking at each other saying stuff. And, and like one day they're like, hey, there's this guy, Jesus. He's saying all this stuff. A lot of people are following him. And they're like, ah, whatever. And then like, they plan and plot against him. And it's like, hey, Jesus, he's like still getting more followers. And also he's like healing a bunch of people. And he's saying that he's God. And they're like, oh, let's challenge him. And then they like can't do that. And they're like, man, what are we going to do? And then there's this plot to kill him. They're so annoyed that they actually kill him. And I'm like, after like one day of that, they're like, all right, we did a good job. Let this Jesus thing, let this rule of revolution play out. And it's going to be good. Day two, still feeling good. Day three, they're like, a guy knocks on the door. He's out of breath, and he's like, guys, Jesus is back. 
And they're like, hats fly off, and they're so crazy. They're like, what do you mean Jesus is back? And Jesus resurrected from the dead, and they're kind of sweating a little bit. But then they're like, wait, Jesus ascended into heaven. They're like, okay, thank goodness, he's gone again. Finally, we could just chill out and just run this government, just run this the way we want it. And all of a sudden, a guy knocks on the door again, and he's like, okay, you know Peter and John and all these other guys? And they're like, yes, what is it? They're like, well, now they're still talking about Jesus, and they're doing the same exact thing Jesus did. And they're like, I'm done with this. And then they go, and they arrest him. That's how I imagine how it went. This is the Noah translation. I don't quite think this is exactly what happened. But imagine how annoyed they must have been. Like, this Jesus person won't die. And here we are 2,000 years later. More people have heard the name of Jesus than ever before. People throughout history have tried to oppress and oppose the gospel of Christ, and it has not stopped it once. Sure, there might be victory seemingly in the moment, There's people who've been martyred for their faith. There have been people who have been attacked wrongfully for their faith. But the gospel of Jesus always continues. And it is always continuing to challenge and push people who are stuck in their sin, closer to their sin. They're they're stuck in their hardened hearts or it's continuing to revive people. It's continuing to bring people closer to Jesus. People will be annoyed at you for preaching about Jesus, but make no mistake, you must do it all the same. People will be annoyed at you for teaching and talking and speaking about Jesus, but you must do that all the same. And, 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 and people will disguise their annoyance with like kind of this casual language. They'll say things like, well, we just want everyone to feel included. We just, you know, we want to keep religion and politics out of casual conversations. It's not quite PC. You know, you shouldn't be so closed-minded. You should really picture and imagine, but make no mistake, People will say all these things to you, but they are annoyed that you are teaching about Jesus. And I have to say, Jesus is the most loving being of all time. Jesus is the prime example of welcoming in the lost and oppressed. He came to teach peace and love through these things. He came to teach true love, true peace, true salvation, but only true salvation in him alone. And that's the key distinction. Some people will say, well, Jesus came to teach love. Yes, that's true. But he also, more than anything, preached about the kingdom of God and called people to himself because he is true peace. He is true love. He is true joy. And anything outside of him is not true peace or true love or true joy. And so it is actually the most loving thing that you could ever do is to tell someone that they need Jesus. That's offensive to people who don't want to be told that they're wrong. That's offensive to people who love their sin. That's offensive to people who are happy with the way things are. And at one point in time, everyone in this room was there. I was there. Your leader was there. You were there in your sin where maybe the gospel you didn't know at the time was offense. I don't want to change. What do you mean I have sin? What do you mean I have this issue? What do you mean you're challenging the status quo of what my life is like? Because I want to be the God of my own universe, my little kingdom, my little square footage apartment in Camas, Washington. I'm in charge of all this. I'm in charge of my life. I'm in charge of what I think, say, do, and feel. And when you say you need Jesus, it's offensive. People will be annoyed, make no mistake. When you preach the true gospel of Jesus, the lost will either recognize and respond in faith or the lost will challenge and respond with hostility. And here we see a minor setback, but a major victory. I think a lot of people will uh, look at this passage and, and speak only about the opposition. And there is a decent amount of opposition here. They've been arrested for preaching about their faith in Jesus. 
in your life, any major victory for the sake of the gospel is often met with opposition. So don't be surprised when it happens, friend. I'm telling you to expect it. See, Christians are followers of Jesus. Duh, very easy thing to understand. It's in the name. Christians are followers of Jesus, meaning they do and we do the same exact things as Jesus did. So don't be surprised when you face a, a, you know, opposition like Jesus did. When we walk and talk and speak like Jesus, when we live like Jesus, when we live out the gospel, we should not be surprised when we face oppression because Jesus was literally killed and he did nothing wrong. And so we, we do stuff wrong all the time, but as we follow in Jesus' footsteps, we have to and you have to expect some level of opposition or tension. Do not be surprised when it comes. It's like we talked about in James chapter one, such a powerful passage. The things that bring us down, the burdens that live in our hearts, the opposition we face, the Lord actually uses those things, not just like despite those things, the gospel goes out, but because of those things, the gospel continues to go out. In your life, when you face opposition, we're gonna see here, the gospel continues to spread no matter what. Many of those who heard the word believed, listen, that heard the word, they believed and the number of the men came about 5,000, thousands of people saw this person who is crippled and now they're healed. They're walking, they're talking, they're, they're proclaiming the goodness of God and this spreads. Like this goes, this may have not been this exact moment this happened, but this specific instance caused thousands of people to believe this room can hold about 900. Let's just say this room can hold 1,000 if some people are standing. Imagine this room being filled five times. That's how many people got saved. And specifically, it says that's how many men got saved. So it's quite possible that tens of thousands of people got saved. Picture a room like this times 10, times 20. That's what happened on a single day because of those who had heard the word and believed. So it's a minor setback. John and Peter are, are in custody, but a major victory for the kingdom of God. Let's continue on here in uh, verse five. It says this. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Capricious, and John uh, and Alexander and all those who were of the high priestly family, and they had set them in their midst, and they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So think about this. In this specific moment, in this specific time, Peter and John are standing before all of the highest rulers and all of the highest authorities they, they could have possibly fallen to under in submission. I don't know if you've ever been called to the principal's office, right? This doesn't really compare. But if you get called to the principal's office and it's like the assistant principal, you're like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. If you get called to the principal's office and it's like just like a random administrator, you're like, oh, this is really not a big deal. And if you get called to the principal's office and it's just you and the principal, it would be a big deal. But when you walk into that room and it's all three of them sitting watching you, I don't know if you've been in this situation. I have maybe once or twice, maybe. But when that happens, it's like, oh my gosh, I would rather die than be in this room right now. I'm so scared, right? Or maybe uh, you've been in a situation where you've been in a courtroom for something. Maybe it's not something you did, but specifically, like there's this feeling that happens when you're in front of authority. When you're looking at authority, people who you know they, in some way, shape, or form, are controlling what happens to you, whether it's at school, whether it's in life, there's something that happens when you just feel very small and you begin to feel terrified. Even if you have done nothing wrong, 
even if you like have a certain argument or you're trying to explain yourself, right? It could be a little terrifying. And Peter and John watched these people kill their best friend who was literally perfect. They watched as Jesus was drugged into this presence of similar people or potentially the same exact people and he was killed. Imagine what they were thinking. History's probably gonna repeat itself here, right? And they're probably thinking, I don't think I'm gonna be resurrected in three days. I think these guys are gonna kill us. What power? By what name do you do this? They better have a good answer. Look at verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all of the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Under pressure, gospel truth is given. Gospel truth is given under pressure. In the most stressful time, in the most anxiety-ridden time that they may have faced in the past few weeks or past few months, Peter says, filled with what? The Holy Spirit. So they have the Holy Spirit empowering them, which if you're a Christian, fun fact, you have. Peter didn't have like an advanced version of the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't have like this like, okay, well, he's older, so he has like the senior high version. You guys have the junior high and the little league version right now. No, we as Christians, when we become regenerate, when we turn from our sin and embrace Jesus in faith, have this power and with boldness to profess the gospel. We see gospel truth under pressure. The power of the Holy Spirit healed this crippled man, but Peter offers them a better healing, salvation in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You notice that Peter always takes any single opportunity. This is like his third time here preaching. Maybe it was his fourth, I can't remember. And every single time he flips the, like whatever's happening, whatever situation that he is in, and he's using it to leverage the truth of the gospel to whoever he's talking to, including authority, including people who are like, we could literally kill you. We could literally kick you out of this town. And he still professes the truth of the gospel. I think there's this myth that happens sometimes where it's like, dude, my life is falling apart. There's no way I can evangelize. I don't have all my stuff together. I have no idea how I'm gonna talk about Jesus. The trial, this trial is an opportunity to preach the gospel. And your trial is an opportunity to preach the gospel. Whatever situation you find yourself in, it is always an opportunity for you to teach the gospel. And notice he teaches the full gospel. This Jesus, the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, what boldness to actually profess the truth. Say, hey, this Jesus that you killed, that's the guy who was able to raise this crippled man from the dead. The cornerstone which was rejected by you, the builders, or uh, th this stone that was rejected by you has become the cornerstone. 
He's drawing in this imagery, the, uh, you know, the buildings at the time, the cornerstone is the most important part of it. The structural foundation of the temple they were in would have had a cornerstone and they would have exactly known what he was saying. Jesus is the foundation of this thing that is continuing to happen and you rejected him. It's pretty offensive. It's pretty rude. I'd be pretty upset if I heard that, if I was in power. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no under name under heaven given among men which you, uh, uh, given among men by which we must be saved. Do you know Jesus, the cornerstone? Do you know Jesus, the true Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith, the perfecter and the author of our salvation? Do you know him personally? Are you close with him? Do you know him by name? Have you turned from your sins to embrace him? Because there's no other name under heaven given to us which we must be saved. And so if you think about this, there's so many false gospels being preached to us. We learned this at conference. There's the try hard and do stuff and look the part gospel. There's the like, well, everyone's going to the same place. It's all just like a different journey gospel. There's the like, you know, as long as you just don't do really, really bad things, I'm sure God's going to be super cool with you, gospel. And all of those are false gospels. There is no under name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Do you know the cornerstone? Do you know the one who came to seek and save the lost? Because if you've been coming here for weeks, months, or years, and you don't know Jesus, you must be in a really confusing spot. It's got to be probably the worst place to be, you know, to be in a religious setting, to talk about Jesus, to have conversations about Jesus, but not actually know him. It could be the most spiritually frustrating place that you could ever be in your entire life. Being a part of the church that your parents brought you to without knowing the head of the church has got to be really difficult. So my question to you is the question that I always want to ask you and I want you to think about and ponder. Do you know the cornerstone Jesus. Have you believed a false gospel of like, well, I'm not doing a ton of bad things. I'm not like really sure that Jesus is like the only name in which I can be saved. Do you know Jesus, the cornerstone? There's gospel truth under pressure in your life, in your trial. Never think that like, hey, I'm going through something really difficult right now, so I really can't talk about the gospel because people are going to think I'm crazy. No, it does not matter. These people are in handcuffs and they're like, you know what? This is the truth of the gospel. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to profess. In your life, are you unapologetically preaching the gospel? Are you unapologetically sharing the good news? Never apologize for the gospel. Never sugarcoat it. Never say like, well, you know, I'm really sorry about this, but uh, you're a sinner. But like, you know, just like, don't like, I'm just the messenger, man. Don't, don't shoot the messenger, Right? It is the most loving thing you can do because it brings you to the most loving person of all time. Continuing on, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I must imagine this moment, right? Their eyes wide open. They're like, these guys, one, they're still alive. Two, they're talking about Jesus. Three, they accused us in front of all the homies, right? They're all like packed around. They have all their like fancy suits on, silly hats. Again, we've established all these things. And then there's these two guys, and they're astonished by their boldness. 
they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Look at that. Common people close to Christ. We look up to Peter and John as these patriarchs of the faith, like these amazing father figures of the faith. Us and our denominational affiliation, less than maybe Catholics or uh, other, you know, uh, Orthodox Christians would. But like, we often look at these guys and we think, whoa, these guys are heroes. These guys are the best. Like they, they like help lead the church of Christ from the very beginning. But what does it say here? They were astonished and they recognized what? That they were, they perceived they were uneducated common men. But they had recognized one thing, that they had been with Jesus. I don't have to know all the answers to talk about Jesus. I don't need to have a master's degree. I don't need to go through 12 theology classes. I just need to know Jesus and to what? Be with Jesus. Time with Jesus is far better than knowing about Jesus. Time with Jesus is better than conversations with Jesus. Time with Jesus is more beautiful than having the right words to say about Jesus. And these men, the elders and the authorities, they recognized that these two guys had been with Jesus. There is incredible power when we have proximity to Christ because it wasn't these guys. They'd say it, we have to say it all the time. It literally was nothing to do with Peter and John. But what they did do is they were with Jesus, they followed after him, and they listened to him, and they did what he said, and this is what happens. And I know what you're hearing. Well, no, I can't, like, heal a crippled dude. I'm in, like, seventh grade, and I don't want to try. Like, you know, like, I can't heal a crippled dude, and I would say, no, you can't. God can, and he does here, and he alone did that miracle here in Acts chapter 3, but God still works today. Is there evidence that you have been with Jesus when you walk into a room? Is there enough evidence in your life that you have been with Jesus when you walk into your school, when you walk into your home, when you walk into your workplace? Is there evidence that you have been with Jesus? Jesus, yeah, no, I'm not doing miracles, right? I, I can't perform these things. Is there an undeniable fact that you are different than everyone else in the room? You are different because you have been with Jesus. Are you sounding more like Jesus by the way you speak and are others comforted by it? Are you acting more like Jesus in the way that you serve and other people are benefiting from it? Are you living more like Jesus with your entire life and other people are now following him because of your testimony? There's an incredible power that comes with proximity to Christ. It affects other people around you. There will be no doubt about it. And others may look around you and think, wow, all this stuff is awesome is happening. And we never say, it's because of me, it's because of my goodness. We will say, you know what? I have been with Jesus and he's working on my heart and he is convicting me and he is changing me and he is making me more and more like him every day. And I want to think differently. I want to speak differently. I want to sound differently because of what he's done to me. And others will see that and they will see Jesus in you if you're close with him, if you know him, if you run to him on a daily basis through his word, through his people, through prayer, 
It's not just us, guys. It re- we represent Jesus. We show him to our schools. We complain all the time about how lost Washington and Oregon specifically are, like, or in Portland specifically, but we get to represent the solution to the stuff we complain about all the time. We get to share the good news of Christ with everyone. They noticed they had been with Jesus, uneducated, common men who are close to Jesus. It is such a dangerous thing to a world that doesn't want to hear about it. And so my challenge to you is to be with Jesus, to know him more closely, to run to him in time and the word, personal devotion. I'm not going to get on Fortnite for five hours tonight. I'm going to spend time in my Bible. I'm not going to hang out with you at that party. I'm going to spend time uh, praying in that youth group. I'm not going to do this. It is choosing to be with Jesus through his word, through his community, through prayer, through worship, whatever it may be, so that when you walk into the place God has called you to, it is noticeable. God is still working. You may not think, well, like, people walk through my shadows and then they're healed, right? That's not going to happen but people might sound differently by the way you profess Jesus. People may begin to think differently by the way you profess Jesus. Things and miracles, yes, miracles will happen when you are in proximity to Jesus. But if you haven't, then maybe you're thinking, you know, things are pretty much like same old, same old to me, for me, you know. Same school, same friends, same life, same everything. Nothing really is going on. Nothing's really changed. Life is just the same, right? And I would challenge you and say, don't get caught up in the phenomenal aspect of this specific miracle. God is doing miracles today. And when you embrace him in faith and you know him more closely and you are with him on a daily basis, miracles happen in your schools, in your workplaces. I promise you they will. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's degree. You don't need to be perfect, but you do need to be with him all the time. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Peter and John go away. And then these guys are just huddled together, saying, what shall we do with these guys? Like, what are we going to do with these guys? Uh, For a notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident that they are inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So here are these guys, they're circled up again. I bet they're like twirling their mustaches. They're like kind of like all evil art. We should warn them, warn them not to speak about this. So they called them back in. So they're like, leave the room, come back in. Sweet, sounds good. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Hmm. Imagine that moment, right? They're like, okay, these guys are pretty fired up about Jesus. We're going to tell them not to talk about it. And then let's just see how they react. Maybe that'll show them. Hey guys, don't do that. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people who were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Like, it's probably not a great time to, like, kill these guys because all of these people are praising God and, like, we're supposed to like that. And so we're just going to have to let them go. 
Why did they release them? They released them because of the people, because of the good works that had happened through the power of the Holy Spirit. They released them. They let them go. A question that you have to ask yourselves when you read passages like this is, who do I fear the most? Who am I, like, terrified of the most? And you're like, well, I'm not scared of anyone, right? It's like, okay. We're all scared of something or someone. Do you fear God the most or do you fear man the most? Do you fear God the most? Which is a good thing, by the way. You might hear that and you're like, I don't want to fear God. I love God. Uh, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearfulness of God. And not just like reverence. Because people are like, oh, that means reverence. No, it means fearing God is a good thing. Wanting to seek his approval, wanting to seek his face, wanting to do what he says. Fearing God is a good thing. But do you fear God or do you fear man? But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They draw a line in the sand saying, no, yeah, we're going we're gonna to still talk about Jesus. Why? Because they fear God over all. We're going to listen to God and you and I must do the same. We must listen to God over everything else. Do you fear God or do you fear man? What are you most concerned about? When you are most concerned about what man thinks of you, right? Another person, your parents, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your classmates. When you are most concerned about what man thinks of you, for the rest of your life, you'll be a slave to others' opinion of you. You'll be living for worldly affirmation. You'll be devastated any second that someone says something bad about you and you will be focused on all the wrong things. But when you choose to say, I will fear and listen to God over everything else, you will be filled with this spirit-empowered boldness. You will seek God's word and will for your life above everything else. You will withstand the attacks of this world because you will stop caring so much about what it thinks and you will put people in the right place. And this is a prime example of people who could have been pretty terrified in the moment and said, no, I, I, I fear God. I love him most. I fear him the most. I want to please him the most. And we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Like, I just can't stop talking about it. There's no way you can get me to stop talking about it. Because it's true. Because it happened. Because it changed my life. So looking at these passages, looking at these 22 verses that we just covered, We've learned one thing, the main thing I want you to take away. Living out the gospel is rarely easy, but it is always worth it. Living out the gospel is not going to be easy. You should not expect to walk through this life and to be like, cool, smooth sailing, I have salvation when I die. This is great. It's very rarely easy to live out and to speak and to preach about the gospel, but it is always worth it. The gospel will not be stopped The church will not be stopped. The question is, are you going to join in and share it? Are you going to join in? You're going to put your hand to the the plow, so to speak. You're going to join in the efforts to spread the gospel, or are you going to kind of just stand to the sidelines? Accepting your part of what's happened and live in luxury, or are you going to step up and share? Are other people going to know because of you? Is there going to be boldness in your schools, in your homes, because of your influence, because of being close to Christ, because of what his spirit has done in and through you? It's very rarely the easiest thing you'll ever do, but it will always be worth it. I've never met someone in their 70s or 80s who's a Christian who's just like, dude, this whole thing that I just did was kind of a sham. 
I wish I could just live a carefree life, man. That would have been so much easier. Never once. I have met people who have at one point in their life been captured, like physically detained because of preaching the gospel, and they're some of the most joyful people I've ever met. I've met people who have lost their loved ones, children, whatever it may be, and they've not turned their back on Christ, and they have said it is all worth it. It won't be easy, and I'm preparing you now at 11, 12, 13, whatever you are. I want you to know this truth, but it's always worth it. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. Thank you that you've protected your church all this time. God, thank you that we can continue to be bold because of your ongoing work in our hearts and our lives. God, I pray for this time and this space as we uh, get to worship you. God, I pray we'd focus on you during worship. We wouldn't focus on their distractions or anything that is discouraging us. God, thank you that you've given us great power through your Holy Spirit. For the person in the room who is questioning their faith in Jesus, there's wondering more about you, God, I pray that they would be bold enough to ask a leader or a friend. God, I pray for the person right now who's feeling convicted of how they want to walk closer with you. I pray that you would meet them with love and grace like you always do when we repent. God, I pray for the person in the room who's discouraged and they've tried to share the gospel, they've talked to their friends about it and it just feels like they're getting nowhere. God, I pray that this story would encourage them. They would see and they'd recognize that you are the one that does the work. You're the one that uh, is able to accomplish these things. But would we, would we continue to be faithful? We love you, Lord. Help us to be bold. Help us to be bold when we're talking about you, when we're talking about the things uh, that you've done in our lives. I pray that we wouldn't be fearful, that we wouldn't try and sugarcoat it with like, yeah, it's just kind of a personal thing that's about me. I just go to this thing. Would we be bold because of it? I pray that over these kids. I pray that over myself, everyone in the room who's listening to my voice. With all boldness, we profess gospel or your gospel, even in the face of persecution. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.